the 2023-2024 season of the NASPA SLPKC Leadership Educators Podcast. I don't know about y'all, we'll do introductions in a second, but I'm so excited that we are starting a new season, starting a new school year, um, and a lot to look forward to. How y'all feeling? Oh, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling, I had a colleague the other day that said they are whelmed, not overwhelmed, but whelmed. And I feel like that's, that's where we are, right? Beginning of a, beginning of a school year, um, exciting projects on the horizon. Um, I feel good about it. Whelmed. Same same here. (laughs) Yeah, we're whelmed. Well, as you all start to hear our voices, um, we want to take some time and do some introductions of who we are. Um, this first episode is really to get to know your co-hosts and your production team and just hear our voices and get used to what this run of a show might look like and to hopefully get you all excited for a new season of Leisure Educators podcast um, in conjunction with um, NASPA's SLPKC and NCLP, which we'll get into too. But first, I'm going to start with some introduction of our podcast team. So first, we want to start with our producer, Derek. Derek, do you want to tell us a little about yourself? For sure. So hi, everyone. You hear me every once in a while in these episodes, but I'm excited to be able to be here. I'm of our amazing co-host for this season, which they'll introduce themselves in a second. Um, and being able to just share the space with everybody and being able to bring this podcast to our listeners. So we always want to I always always want to start off our seasons by thanking y'all because we wouldn't be able to do this without y'all. So we wanted to make sure we emphasize that. But as Brittany mentioned, my name is Derek. I use he, him, el pronouns, and I'm currently a third-year PhD student at Florida State University in the higher education program. So I'm excited to be on the back end of the hump of the PhD journey um, and starting that process. Um, And specifically, I am looking at and engaging with leadership education within the field of higher education and student affairs. So for me, a lot of the ways that I got into leadership education I was always the one kid in middle school and high school that was in every single club. I came out in 15 organization yearbook pictures. Leadership for me was a very positional lens until I got to college. And I remember the first course that I ever took as a collegiate student, my first fall semester at Florida State was leadership for social justice. And that was the first course that I took. And it opened my eyes not only to leadership, but also to one of these concepts of socially just leadership education, which from our past seasons, you can definitely see um, that coming into fruition. So I'm excited to have been able to go through our some courses within Florida State University's Leadership Studies Department office program, and now being a graduate assistant in that office as a PhD student. So kind of a full circle moment for me um, once I started my PhD journey was being able to not only learn from the leadership educators that inspired me, but also teach in those same spaces as well to help um, the ge- the future generations of these students being able to learn the same things. So I'm excited about that. Like I mentioned, I'm currently a graduate assistant in the Leadership Learning Research Center at Florida State University, and I'm excited to be here and share the space with y'all and with our co-hosts. I'll pass it now over to Melissa, because I think, Melissa, so you can go next and introduce yourself as well. Thank you, Derek. Hi, everyone. Uh, My name is Melissa Rocco. I use she, her pronouns. Um, And I am, gosh, what is my leadership education, I guess, origin story? I usually direct it back to, I usually (laughs) take it back to my uh, camp counselor days. So in high school, I served as a camp counselor um, for an organization called the Ohio Association of Student Leaders. Shout out to OASL. Um, but essentially was was a camp counselor for middle school and high school students who are, you know, coming for a week of summer camp to learn about teamwork and 
find the leader within themselves and learn about what that means to make change in their communities. I, I think that experience was really transformative for me, not only in at a young age, being kind of prompted to embrace the identity of leader, but to do it in a way that was community related, like community and collaboratively connected. I just used three words with C's all in a row. I realized that, but it really <laughs> was. It was so much about connection. The way they talked about leadership was so much about connection and community and relationships. That was really transformative for me. And so to then be a camp counselor where for that same program where I like first introduction to peer education and the power of peers and helping one another develop leadership. I was really fortunate to be able to do that as a young age. And so I, I call that my kind of leadership education origin story. Um, and it's really, I think, what prompted the themes in my career pursuits throughout the rest of my time. So, you know, I started my higher ed student affairs journey, you know, as an undergrad at Ohio State, um, go Bucks, and uh, <laughs> was really, really um, blessed to engage in a lot of really wonderful, you know, involvement opportunities there, like like the rest of us, right, in, in undergrad. Um, didn't go into higher ed and student affairs right away after college. I had a brief stint as a, a sorority traveling consultant and a brief stint as a business consultant working for Deloitte. And I had this like moment while working, kind of like traveling around to like work with all these, you know, Fortune 100 companies and whatnot, where um, I realized that, <laughs> I was thinking back to my camp days, I realized that the kids that I was working with in middle schools and high schools at camp were better at doing really basic things like sharing and communicating and connecting mm -hmm. with one another, mm -hmm. right? Then mm -hmm. the folks I was working with in these really high powered organizations and positions, and I was like, okay, you know what? I'm so tired of trying to like fix things on the back end. Like once folks have kind of like grown and developed into their, you know, into their roles and into their careers, um, it's much harder to fix things at that stage than it is to help educate or develop on the front end when people are younger mm -hmm. and people are more open to ideas. And so I got to be honest, that's what interested me in leadership education. So went back, got my master's degree in higher ed um, at Ohio State. Um, was really blessed to, to transition into my work at the University of Maryland, where I did my doc work um, and worked with the leadership studies program at the University of Maryland for a bunch of years. Um, and then now find myself in a, in a no, new role at the University of Vermont. So I'm a faculty member in the higher education and student affairs program at the University of Vermont. And I have the wonderful responsibility of teaching courses in our graduate program, advising students, and also getting to kind of own and start to grow the leadership studies um, undergraduate program there as well. So um, just really excited to be here. It's been a journey and um, I just appreciate y'all inviting me to join this season. I'm excited to talk more about that. Yeah. Brittany, it's your turn. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I feel like you both have told parts of my stories. So I'm like, I just, um, you know, retweet some of what you all said, but um my name is Dr. Brittany DeVees, which last season they got to hear me become a doctor, which is so Doctors. special to me. Um, that was so fun. Yeah. We, you know, in the last season, it was, they heard about my perspectives at that phase and then got to walk all the way through defense and graduation, which has been so special. So I am really excited to be back on the podcast now in a new role. I'll talk about in a second. Um, but Brittany, I use she, her pronouns. And, you know, when I think about Getting the leadership education, I used to tell a story that was similar, somewhat to Derek's of like, you know, I was in high school and I thought I was a leader and I came to things and it, it kind of blew it up for me in college. But now when I think about it, I recently got asked to come back um, to the Hugh O'Brien Youth Leadership Conference as a featured speaker. And I realized 
that when I was invited to that conference as a junior, I went to Ohio North for folks that are Hobie um, alumni. When I got invited as a junior back in high school, I remember going to that conference and being like, I don't think I know what leadership is. Like, I think I thought I knew, right? And I went to this in like immersive three-day conference with, it was one junior from every high school in Ohio, North region. And um, we all came together and just got to like learn and develop together in space. And it was the first time I didn't, was not with anyone I knew, um, was unfamiliar, you know, environment or things I was learning. I remember having this moment of being like, this is really exciting to me and a little bit scary, right? Like I, this is not what I had heard leaders have talked about as before. I was unfamiliar, but I was excited about it. And then um, when I applied to the Ohio State University to go there for undergrad, I remember someone mentioning from my hometown that there was a scholars program that was really focused on leadership and service. And I kind of gotten the bug during Hobie. And I was like, you know, that could be a cool thing to get early involvement in um, at Ohio State. So I applied to the Mount Leisure Society Scholars Program, um, which is named after a wonderful woman, Ruth Weimer Mount, who was um, the first dean of students at Ohio State. And I got there and I, again, felt pretty confident. I had my Hobie experience. I had the resume pieces I thought I needed. Um, and I went there and they really rocked my world and thinking about leadership as a really relational, collaborative, um, intentional, community-driven process I had not previously thought of, right? I thought of services like one day food pantry drop-offs, right? Or other things too. And um, that program really, really challenged the ways that um, young people think about their role in society as a larger scale. Um, so that was really the catalyst of my time at Ohio State. And then um, I was lucky to take um, leadership classes there and do the minor with Dr. Amy Barnes and um, learn from her. And I remember looking at her one point and saying, I'm going to do this higher ed student affairs thing. And I went to her, I vividly remember, I went with a printed piece of paper and it had 50 grad schools on it and they were highlighted and color coded. And she looked at me and she said, no, 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 no. And she went through and she was like, here's programs that are going to do what you want to do and will get you excited about the work you want to do. And especially leadership education. I remember one of the ones she left on the list was Florida State University. So I applied because she told me that that was a good idea. Um, I had never had any intention of moving to Florida or being that far from home, but went there um, and caught the bug again. They were doing really good leadership work um, within the realm of higher ed and student affairs and um, got to meet Dr. Kathy Guthrie, who has been essential to my story. And um, so I went down to Florida State and I got my master's and worked um, in a really cool scholars program that also challenged new notions of um, leadership and service, and then got to teach in our leadership studies minor for five years at Florida State, um, teaching all kinds of courses online, in person, um, and really learning a lot from students about about that realm. And then um, that got me to where I am now, where I'm at the University of Maryland College Park, working with our um, leadership studies minor and certificate programs here and getting to teach and work with doc students and getting to work with our co-curricular programs as well, which is amazing um, to kind of get to see both sides of house, which is pretty unique for someone Um in a role that's in student affairs, also partnership with College of Ed. Um, so we can talk all about that this season too. But really excited about where the work is going and um, excited to be here with my friends. Uh, gave you this podcast with you all. Agree. So yeah. Yeah. Words. Let's talk about the season. So let's talk about what we're thinking about this season. So for folks who tuned in last season or the season before, um, Last season, we really talked about, you know, new and emerging scholarship, and we really focused in um, with Dr. Bichanu and Dr. Anamaya, who also recently been to doctor. Um, we really focused in on trying to make scholarship accessible, right? Not all of us have time to read 
30 page articles or 250 page new emerging books, Mm -hmm. right? Especially for our practitioner friends who are doing good work every day, boots on the ground. So our goal last season was really to do some of that. And I think that will continue into the season for for, you know, for sure. Um, But I think we've got some, a couple new pivots. So as we think about what to expect from the season, first, you want to share that we're really, really excited. This season is going to be co-sponsored, co-endorsed, kind of co led in many ways by both NASPA SLPKC, which we'll tell you about more in a second too, but also the National National Clearinghouse for Leadership Programs, which we'll also hear more about. So Derek, first, can you tell us what SLPKC is? We talk about it on the podcast all the time, but I don't know that we've ever taken a pause and just do like a quick overview of what what is this knowledge community, why should people care about it, and kind of also what is your role with it, right, in, as being our producer? For sure, for sure. So I think I agree, Brittany. We talk a lot about and we higher ed is full of acronyms, right? Anywhere you go. So it's important to spell stuff out, give you all the details and give you all the inside scoop of things. So the Student Leadership Programs Knowledge Community is one of the knowledge communities hosted by NASPA. Um, Hopefully, you know what NASPA is as well, if you're listening to our podcast. Uh, But NASPA is one of our larger um, student affairs organizations, higher education organizations that help support practitioners, scholars, faculty members, everybody in between um, and outside of those roles as well in the higher education realm. Specifically, there's knowledge communities that are tailored to different areas, functional areas or focus areas that help create this large organization of smaller, maybe home or a niche area for support for individuals. So with the Student Leadership Programs Knowledge Community, we specifically emphasize on aiding practitioners and scholars that are related to student leadership programs. And we emphasize that with also acknowledging that most programs have a leadership component to it, whether it be an academic program, a faculty program, whether it be a program that involves other functional areas in maybe housing or orientation or trio programs, whatever that may look like, leadership is everywhere. But in specific, the SLPKC helps support individuals that are in these roles where they help create, endorse, do curriculum building, or for individuals that are just looking for communities of leadership educators. So we emphasize our role of supporting the leadership educators on college campuses throughout the higher education institution, and also even those that may be outside, that may be in higher ed adjacent industries as well. So our knowledge community helps bridge that gap between what that leadership education or that leadership maybe centered position on a university campus may be doing or looks like? And how does that merge together with a larger conversation with student affairs and higher education? Um, With that, we host a lot of different programs and events. We do virtual learning events. So you'll be able to not only engage with us at conferences or at events where we may have sponsored sessions, but we also will host events throughout the year where you'll be able to engage with us in a bunch of different ways, um, whether it be through panels, whether it be through socials. And we also have open meetings as well, both at annual conference and throughout the year as well. And one of the beauties of this is if you are interested in learning more about what this network looks like, what the support system looks like, we also have volunteer positions open through the Volunteer Central Portal on the NASPA website. So if you are interested, we are able to find a home for you because we're always looking for extra help. And even if your home is not with the SLPKC, we always recommend everybody to find a knowledge community to help gain that kind of home away from home, especially with um, a large organization like NASPA. In specific, my role, I have a dual role with the SLPKC where I serve as, yes, the podcast producer. So I help make the back end of this happen with our lovely co-hosts. But I also serve as our communications team lead. So I also be in charge of making sure 
y'all know what's going on right throughout the whole process um, of events, programs, while also working with a wonderful, wonderful team of amazing individuals that help make all that stuff happen, help plan the events. So if you're interested in either joining that team or anything else in the NASPA SLPKC, like I mentioned before, we'll also post the link in our show notes or in the caption of this video for the Volunteer Central where you can sign up for any volunteer programs we have or positions we have. Melissa, you want to tell us a little bit about the National Caring House for Leadership Programs? Yes, thank you for such a lovely introduction to the knowledge community. <laughs> I've been aware of it for so long and have been a part of it at different points. And um, it's just so, it, it's so cool to see how these entities evolve over time, which really is mm -hmm. essentially also the story of NCLP. So NCLP, the National Clearinghouse for Leadership Programs, we like to say that we are connectors, conveners, and collaborators in leadership education, mm -hmm. um, and that we do that in a couple of different ways. So um, ultimately, we're a resource for people who who maybe identify as leadership educators, or maybe even maybe they don't fully embrace that term for themselves, but they have some component of leadership learning or development work kind of embedded in what they do in in an educational space and organizational space. NCLP is kind of help here to help people like figure out what it is that they need to further develop their kind of identity as leadership educators, improve their practice, uh, get connected to scholarship. Um, we are not an association, um, and rather we focus on partnerships, partnering with the various associations that serve leadership educators in some way. So for example, this partnership with NASPA and the SLPKC, mm -hmm. right? Um, you may also know NCLP because we are one of the three partners on the Leadership Educators Institute or LEI. So we partner with ACPA and NASPA on that program to make that happen every other year. We're also the partner for something called the Leadership Educators Symposium, uh, previously known as the National Leadership Symposium, which you may have heard of. We partner with Leadershape on that particular program right now and have partnered with NACA in the past on a similar program. Um, where other ways you might know NCLP, we are the home of the social change model for leadership development, um, the accompanying text, Leadership for a Better World, and the accompanying assessment, the Socially Responsible Leadership Scale, um, which is embedded in our in our bigger kind of um, our bigger assessment that is run now by um, by a separate entity, but the Multi-Institutional Study of Leadership or the MSL. NCLP is where the MSL started. Um, and so these are all ways that you in your leadership education work may have been connected to NCLP and perhaps not even know it. Um, and that's kind of part of our ethos that we are just here to help you find the good stuff, essentially. And so um, that is something that we really take to heart. We have a, a team of faculty associates from around the country and around the world, really, that help us do our work, whether it's helping with our programs, LEI or the symposium, helping with our various research and assessment initiatives. Um, we help to develop um, CAS's standards for leadership education and development programs. We're kind of the owner of that process for CAS. Um, and so there's just a lot of different ways that NCLP, I think, has, has kind of touched the lives of different leadership educators mm -hmm. over the years. Um, we started back when leadership education wasn't even really a thing in higher ed. And so our founding faculty associate, Dr. Susan Comavez and her colleagues, um, back before any of our associations had separate leadership education, knowledge communities or entity groups, back before organizations like the International Leadership Association existed or the Association of Leadership Educators, right? Back 
before leadership education was really professionalized, um, NCLP was there to just kind of help people figure out what to do with their leadership programs. Mm -hmm. And we are still here to do that today. Um, but now that we've got such a wonderful community, I think of, of associations and entities that do provide wonderful resources and opportunities for leadership educators in their development. Um, we're, we're really here to help make sure that those entities are talking to one another, that leadership educators are finding what they need, no matter who is providing that opportunity, and to really help bolster kind of all of the wonderful things that the leadership education community is doing, no matter where the origin of that project is. Yeah. Thank you both. Mel, did I miss, did you say what your title is with NCLP? I, I did not. Y'all, I'm the faculty <laughs> director for NCLP. Really just so honored to have that responsibility and that, that opportunity. Um, so like I said, NCLP is really a, it's an, it's an entity, it's a group that is run by volunteers so that, you know, we're housed at the University of Maryland, but our work is done by people all, all over the, all over the country and all over the world. So um, just, it's such a it's such a cool opportunity to be able to connect in that way with people um, from across our community. I figured they probably knew that by your wealth of knowledge that you shared about NCLP, but I was like, we should make sure we give her credit for the reason she knows so Thank much you. is because she is certainly directing NCLP in, in beautiful directions. Before we take a small break and then get to um, some good interview Q&A fun questions, I did want to give a little teaser and I think we'll talk about it more in some of our questions and the conclusion of what to look forward to this season. So I mentioned that last season was really focused on making scholarship accessible, um, making ways that we can synthesize what scholars are researching and looking at and making it more digestible for folks who may only have 30 minutes in the car to talk through, you know, what's going on in our field. Um, and as we were thinking about what we hope for this season, what our goals are, and what we'll talk more about too, is really focusing on leadership education and context, right? Like what, where is leadership education happening? Happening? Who is doing it? Who's engaging in it? What resources are happening? What should we be looking to um, both in co-curricular and curricular spaces, right? So this can look like functional areas where leadership education is happening, in innovative ways. It can look at new and emerging scholarship. It can look at different institutional types where leadership education is happening in unique ways. Um, it can look to different, again, resources or emerging um, literature, or again, just things that we're seeing that are coming up with context-specific focuses, right? Um, so we want to make sure that we're keeping it open accessible to all, so you don't look at an episode and be like, oh, it's not relatable to me. That's not that's not our intention, but really wanting you all to see the different contexts and ways that leadership education is happening, because like Derek, you said earlier, right, um, that we all should be engaging in leadership education in some ways, right? It's not reserved for your one uh, coordinator of leadership across campus, right, to really do this work. So we really want to highlight that this season. It will look like different emerging conversations and and hearing from practitioners and scholars alike um, in these spaces too, but wanting to get people excited um, before we transition about what they could look forward to this season too. So we will take a quick break and then be back in a second. Cue the music. Okay, coming back from our interlude, I, you know, we did a little bit of this last season, Derek, I think in the introduction episode, but I thought it was really interesting and, and a good way to get to know the co-hosts that are not in just a kind of prescribed lifelong storytelling is um to have Derek interview Melissa and I a little bit and not interview in like a formal sit down, but just pose some questions for the three of us to think about 
um, a little bit more about us and where we might be framing this season coming from or some of our work too. Um, and just to get to know us a little bit because the rest of the season will be certainly focused on our guests and highlighting programs and scholars and experiences that we want to show you throughout um, the country on leadership education, but I figure you should know us a little bit better before we get started. So Derek is going to pose just a couple of questions for us um, to talk about more in depth, and then that will kind of bring us home to the beginning of episode one. So Derek, turning it over to you. Perfect, perfect. Alrighty, y'all. So I mean, we're all working higher education and student affairs, and we all know this wouldn't be a podcast for higher education student affairs practitioners without an icebreaker. So one of the things that I personally yeah. heavily reflected on this year was an activity that we did at one of our staff meetings at the Leadership Learning Research Center at Florida State, where we were asked to choose a word that re would represent our 2023 or our hopes to represent our 2023. And we did this back in January. And then in this activity, where I am curious to hear about which words you at the time may have chosen and kind of give us a check-in on those words. So for example, I chose the word protecting. I wanted to protect my relationships with my friends. I wanted to protect my time. I wanted to protect my peace. I also wanted to protect what I cared for in my advocacy areas that I wanted to be able to uphold and be a good advocate for, in a sense. So if you can, can you just maybe tell us either a word, sometimes a word is hard, right? So you can use a few if you need to, or a few words that you may have thought your 2023 was going and maybe give us like a little over a midway checkpoint. We're in September now at the time of this recording. So we want to make sure that we can give that almost two thirds of the way throughout the year checkpoint on what that word means and how you've been able to either center that in your work as a personal individual or in your professional work as well. I can start. I started my word for the year when we did it back in January when I was still at Florida State um, was celebration. And I think I might have shared it on the podcast. That was my word. And I think um, some of that came from, I was having a hard time and folks that have finished the doc process. I know Melissa, we've talked about this a lot, but folks yeah. who have finished a PhD journey, there's so many points of that journey that it sometimes feels like you can't celebrate them, right? Like they're submitting your final manuscript and then defending it. And then you actually have graduation and there's all these checkpoints, which are really lovely. Um, but sometimes it feels hard or in, in some cases I felt selfish in trying to celebrate all of them. Right. Or mm, how do you yeah. do all of that? Right. Like, you know, I was 16 hours from my family. Right. So you're not, you know, doing these parties or dinners or whatever it may be. Um, so sometimes for me, that was like literally getting food on the way home. Right. Like my favorite meal, picking up my favorite food on the way yes. home from last class for the doc program, whatever it was. Um, so for me in January, I said, I'm really committed to trying to make the end of this journey a celebration. I think what's been interesting, um, and again, Melissa, we've talked about this before, but um, in trying to transition now out of the PhD, where it was a constant like sense of celebration, and then you get into the summer after a PhD, which is a really odd kind of holding period, and now transitioning to a new job, um, I've definitely been less intentional on celebration, right? Because it's yeah. been like, I'm a new person in all these contexts. I'm learning, I'm growing and developing, which is really lovely too. But I've been really pausing to think about, even with this podcast today, right? I was telling someone, I'm like, yeah, we're recording our first episode of a podcast today. And I just act like it was another meeting, but this is a celebration, right? Like this is this kickoff mm -hmm. of this season. It's time that we get together. It's time we get with a lot of people that we love and admire in this field and get to hear their voices and um, their big ideas about the work we do. and 
um, really trying to do some reframing, Derek, I think this question is wonderful of reframing myself for that celebration of how do we take the pause um, and say like, this is really cool that we're doing this or um, really wonderful or brings joy even, right? Just celebrating something that brings you um, joy and happiness in our work has been something I'm trying to recalibrate now in the last third of the year um, to be more intentional too. I love that. I, mm-hmm. we had our first um, like graduate kind of practicum course meeting last night. And one of the things that we were talking about in that class was about, um, God, like the pressure of productivity, I think. Mm-hmm. And God, that's a whole white supremacy culture thing. We could have a whole podcast season about. Um, but, <laughs> right. but just, just mm-hmm. thinking about that, the way that that pressure creeps in and you don't even recognize. Mm-hmm. And so to your point about pausing for celebration, I think uh, that's, it takes effort to like remind mm-hmm. ourselves to celebrate. And I wish that it didn't, but it does. And so I think mm-hmm. you're right. I think it's not just like, you know, celebrating isn't just about throwing parties. It's about, you know, reflection and appreciation and honoring mm-hmm. connection, right? And, and that to yeah. me feels like celebrating too. So I'm glad that you're thinking about that. Gosh, I could do more of that myself. So well, and more side, me too. I for pop culture folks, um, I saw the Barbie movie a couple weeks ago. Finally, finally got to Barbie. Um, I did have the pause there. I think in resetting myself with celebration is you know in the original Barbie Land, people have seen it, right? Everything is joyful that they have all these accomplishments and all these things, and then um, when the patriarchy in the movie shows up. Uh, but even just again outside influences they started to second guess themselves and all that and feel like they need to be more productive and accomplish more and do more Mm -hmm. and I had my own like oh shoot moment in the movie theater of like I'm doing that like I'm doing the like oh I can't celebrate this I need to keep doing that or like oh I finally like Derek and I did this the other day we finished a book chapter and I was like what's the next thing I need to pivot and start doing right like what what like yeah. what am I now behind on because we finished this and now I need to go do this and I we didn't even take a minute to be like how cool we just did that like it's done like this is really like wonderful that we did this and um yeah anyway Barbie really just gave me a good again pause of sitting in a movie theater I went by myself and I just had a moment and I sat down <laughs> and, um this is good for me I need to to be recentered and, and who knew Barbie would do it um right. after so many years of growing up with Barbie that she would be the one that recentered me out of my uh kind of moving from productivity to celebration mindset I love that I love that you know my word my word you know I was when when Derek posed this as a possible question I was like well shoot what's an inspiring word um and I (laughs) (laughs) I chose I did I did choose an inspiring word but I have to be honest the reason I chose it isn't particularly like fabulous I guess but I chose so I chose reinvention that is the, that's the word I chose. Um, and I obviously was, I was not a part of the original conversation back in the LRC in, in, in the early part of the year, but, um, I've been thinking a lot about that word this year. I I've been going through a lot of personal transition, right? I told y'all, I just started Mm -hmm. a new job that started earlier this year, you know, joining the university of Vermont. Um, my husband and I recently just moved back to the States from London. Right. And Mm -hmm. so, um, that's something you know, that we've been trying to navigate, like what, it, you know, kind of re-entering our lives in the U.S., um, you know, after being gone for about two years. And so that's been a big theme for me. And and at a very, like, kind of mundane but lovely level, I also, in, like, in this process of moving to the state of Vermont, have been thinking about the opportunity it provides me for maybe becoming a bit more of, like, an outdoors person, like, kind of yes. <laughs> enjoying 
Sure enjoying though. nature yeah. and space in a way that from moving from central London and then just prior to that, we were we were in DC in the heart of DuPont Circle for about 10 years, right? Mm-hmm. And so living out in a largely, you know, it's a largely rural state. Um, and things are, oh my God, the landscape is just beautiful here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I I reinvention feels right to me. I think it it connects to both my professional, and my personal life, and really the the <laughs> the thought that sparked it was I told my husband the other day, I said, Andrew. I think I need to become a kayak person. <laughs> yes. I, I really, I just see, I see folks here in my community, like, you know, casually pulling a kayak off the roof of their car and like putting it into the town beach. Right. And at the, at the boat launch and like yeah. paddling their way through the lake after work. And I was like, that seems amazing. I have never been that kind of an outdoorsy person, but gosh, does it look amazing. And so mm-hmm. part of me is like, I don't know that I will ever be a kayak person fully, but I'm trying to like channel that energy of like the people yeah. I see kind of like owning that time for themselves and being out in nature in a way that I just have never really done. Um, and I think yeah. it could be really good for me. So we're working on it. I need yeah. to buy some- I need to buy some like hiking appropriate, kayak appropriate clothing maybe before anything else. But <laughs> I love that reinvention. Well, and, and you know, sillyly, I was like, oh, she means reinventing her work. She's in a new context. But no, you're reinventing like who is Melissa outside of work, right? And I think um, a lot of times we miss that, right? Like who do we get to be? especially when we do change a, a someone who also just moved to a new place and a new job, um, forgetting that it's not just moving for the job, but you're also moving to a new context as a person, right? And what does that mean? Does that mean you become a kayak person? I'm going to become a metro person soon once the metro is finally back up and running in my area. Um, but right, how do we like get to do that and experience new things and new people and new places and things too? So I love that. Good question, Derek. All righty. Uh, I'm glad you like this question because now I have a two-part question for y'all coming up next. Oh, wonderful. Double barrel. So, right. <laughs> and I think, Brittany, you touched upon this a little bit in your answer for the first question. But I'm very curious because I think a lot of times, like we said, we don't celebrate. But I also think a lot of times we share what may frustrate us in a lot of aspects, but not what brings us joy. So if you can indulge me with your answer to this, what is one thing that brings you joy in your personal lives? And then in that same caveat, the second question is, what is one thing that brings you joy about the field of leadership education? I think a lot of times we mentioned our leadership origin stories had one central theme and it was we were having fun. And I think that that's one of the reasons I think a lot of us engage in the leadership process. And that's when we kind of connect those dots, right? Or make sure that we are engaging in a way that not only entertains us, but also feeds our soul as well as we Mm -hmm. kind of engage in that process, right? So if you can indulge me in what's one thing, like I mentioned, the one thing that brings you joy to your personal lives and also what's one thing that brings you joy about the field of leadership education? I leave these questions intentionally broad because I don't want you to be like, you mean like this or do you mean like that? I want to make sure <laughs> we get we get a, a raw and honest response to that. So, <laughs> Well, I'll tell you right now what's bringing me personal, like personal joy is the Great British Bake Off, always and forever. <gasps> so I will just, just name that, particularly Junior Bake Off. So if anyone is not, is not yet a fan of, of, the great British baking show. I will just, I will just plug that to see, to watch a show where the 
contestants, right, who technically are competing against each other are actually quite kind and helpful Mm -hmm. and funny and goofy with one another. Totally different than like some of these like like more American US based like cooking shows where people are super cutthroat and trying to like undermine one another. The Great British Bake Off just brings me so much joy and Junior Bake Off in particular right now. Like, oh my gosh, watching an episode of that after a long day just puts me in a place where I'm like, the world is okay. We're going to be all right, people. <laughs> so that's my very, like, that's the first thing I thought of when you asked about what brings you joy in this moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think with the joy with the personal lives, you know, in moving to a new space, you get, you know, adjusting and seeing new things. I was really enjoying bringing personal joy from the weather in the DC greater area, but it is mm-hmm. uh, heat wave this week. So that is not joy this week. Um, but one thing I, I have gotten back into because I finally unpacked the things to do it is I love sending snail mail. It is my love language of choice. I like to mail a card. Derek knows this. He's gotten cards from me. Melissa, you will start getting cards from me, but <laughs> I like like written notes to my friends and family. Like I like sending that. I like doing it when they don't know what's coming. I like surprising them because I think, you know, we're so in an age of like just texting or calling or quick FaceTime or, um, or just for getting to do those things because people are out of sight, out of mind. Right. Um, but I like just a little something to send someone to let them know I'm thinking of them. Um, and getting the 99 cent Trader Joe's cards. If you're not buying Trader Joe's cards, you need to be dry- buying Trader Joe's cards because they re- replenish them every week and they're usually local artists and they're wonderful. Um, but then going to buy stamps and physically going to the post office and talking to the post office folks and dropping it off. Um, there's something that brings me a lot of joy in doing that. Um, and just getting again to like write with pen and paper. Like how often do we even do that anymore? Right. If everything is online and um, just getting to, and, and find a card that reminds you of somebody. Right. And, and that place too. So I also send postcards from where I travel to, even in, in like domestic US. So it's always fun for me when I travel to a new place, like to find a fun postcard um, and then be able to send it to my loved ones too. So I really like being able to do that. It makes me feel more connected to folks, um, especially my community of people that are kind of crossed across the world now. So yeah, it's been bringing me a lot of joy to get back into that. Do we have to say that this You're podcast is you joy? <laughs> I was going to say, do we have to say that yeah. this podcast is not sponsored by Trader Joe's, Netflix, or Channel Four? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, or the United States Postal Service. Not that's right, or the USPS, that's right. <laughs> None of them are paying us to, for these endorsements, but I will still endorse Trader Joe's greeting cards. It's a really wonderful right. one to check out. That's right, that's right. Derek, please, Derek, indulge us. You? You're in the doc process. <laughs> doc process, what's bringing, what's bringing you, you happiness and joy? So I, for me, so I've recently come to the conclusion that I'm allergic to dogs. That's not stopping me from touching no dog, so I'm just no. putting that straight up. It's fine. I'll take a, I'll take a Zyrtex before and I'll be good. But I think a lot of my friends, I am a firm believer that if I cannot take care of a plant, I cannot take care of an animal. So I will not mm. eat a dog dead just yet. But um, I think I when I hang out with my friends, whether in the dog process or outside of it or in other I've recently found the community and other doctoral students at Florida State that are not in my program. So that's always a, a nice mm-hmm. muscle we can bond over a similar experience, but not necessarily have to talk about everything that's happening with all of our things. Um, and I very much found I'm becoming an animal guy, like an animal person, um, especially with dogs. So I think in my free time, I've just come to the conclusion that I want to be around dogs, right? And I think it's a, it's mm-hmm. a lot of fun Brittany knows this too I also have gotten into traveling whether it be small road trips whether it be doing facilitations for organizations that I oh, volunteer yes. for 
Um, that brings me joy because it. a lot of times we can say, oh yeah, disconnect from your work, turn off your phone. Before this offline, we had a conversation on how some of us don't have our email notifications on our computer, right? But mm-hmm. I think a physical disconnection from your space is also needed. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. So I, for example, I'll be going to um, a few other states and a few cities that I have planned by the end of this year. And that that like waiting up for it is what's bringing me joy because I'll be able to experience mm-hmm. something new either by myself or with some people that I really care about. So that brings me joy as being able to be safely uncomfortable in a new space or in a new mm-hmm. area. Because I think that's a important piece because safety always has to come first. So, but yes, that's what brings that to before me. We get to, before we get to the next part of the question, can I tell a quick funny story? Because Derek, you just made me think of it. Um, it's related. But I, so um, this is a Jillian Volby White um icebreaker I used to use in gender leadership when I taught that class at FSU is she used to talk about um, like what are examples of you seen assessment in the wild right and it really meant like mm. you know you go to the airport and you see the little like restroom like happy face or not happy face or how clean it is or whatever too so she would give these examples and students as their icebreaker would say like oh I actually had to like take a survey today and it was really bad and like you know assessment in the wild so I once opened my gender leadership class with how have you seen gender like in leadership stuff in the wild and my sweet sweet undergrads did not ask for clarification and they thought I literally meant like how do gender and leadership correspond in like wildlife like like oh. animals so that oh. was their interpretation hey we was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing and I was like absolutely if you come with an example tell me and then one of my students came out where she's absolutely brilliant she was a doula I mean she's just amazing she's just brilliant beyond her beyond her years um and she came up to me and she was I actually like to write that for my final paper about how gender and leadership happen in wildlife with wild animals and like the jungle it is one of the best papers I've ever read in my life she picked three different species and kind of followed along gender norms in the species and how leadership shows up in the species it was amazing but Derek when you said you're a dog person and started talking about leadership education stuff I was like I have to tell the story it's amazing um but she's so brilliant and I just I looked up to her a lot in the classroom but she was like can I do that I said yes please please <laughs> that's that's your answer that's your answer to the to the what brings you joy in the field yes, of leadership education that was a really beautiful <laughs> moment as an educator and that was a moment as an educator where you're like okay well i'm doing okay you know like i'm doing okay even <laughs> like, when i, I really <laughs> messed up the icebreaker when i messed up the icebreaker it turned out to be okay the outcome I was love that. i will I say love on that, that note that what is actually in this current moment giving me joy about leadership education which is really exciting and i'm going to keep following it is I've, I feel like I've fallen back in love with writing. Um, Mel, you know this from finishing the PhD process, but the dissertation becomes so like prescribed and you like have all these arbitrary deadlines and it starts to feel really transactional at some point, especially towards the end when you're editing and just cleaning up and trying to like get to the finish line. The writing process becomes super transactional of like edits back, edits back, finish, get it to ProQuest, all the all of those things too. Not sponsored by ProQuest either. Um, but the, <laughs> you're doing all of these like trying just to get to the end. Um, I took the summer and, and wrote a little bit, but kind of stayed away from it. And I've really like had taken a couple projects on that have made me excited to do it again. And I think in the reason I'm not, yes, the writing process energizes me, but it's more of what comes from good conversations around writing projects, right? Like these Zoom calls or in-person meetings when you start thinking about like the future of our work or what gets us excited or like, why do we do this? I think it's such a recentering activity for me in writing that then it makes my work better, right? Of being able to say like, 
let's pause and think about the meta of it with people that also are brilliant and challenge my thinking. So I'm a better person when I go into the classroom or meet with a student um, in those spaces too. So the writing process has really found um, new joys and energy for me that has made me excited. I love that. Your story and your story about the the creativity in that student, how that situation turned mm-hmm. out also made me think about um, my answer to this question is related to <laughs> My dear friend, Brent Turner, who some of you may know Mm -hmm. in the world of leadership education, always says that like, it doesn't matter what happens, right? All the mess ups, whatever. It's free curriculum, right? It's all Mm -hmm. part of the process. It's free curriculum. Just use it and go with it, right? Um, So brilliant. And I was just thinking when you said like, you know, brainstorming and having these conversations with brilliant people, I think that's one of the things I love the most about our field is that we're, we are surrounded by brilliance all the time, whether it's our colleagues, Mm -hmm. you know, who are scholars or practitioners, right? Whether it's the students that we're working with, who are coming up with all kinds of amazing things when we talk, when we just talk, you know, chat in class or in the programs that we're running. I just think this field brings out creativity in people. I think it brings out like hope and possibility in people. Um, And it does it like across context. And so, I mean, even back to back to our like season, you know, focus for for this time around, right, that that it doesn't really matter what the context is. I think that what we what I think at our at our best in leadership education, that's we're inspiring that kind of creativity, that brilliance. We're creating Mm -hmm. space for people to show their talent and their brilliance in a way that I, I just don't know happens in in all of the spaces and the complexity of higher ed today, right? So I, you know, leadership education is not without its problem. Let's be real. We could, we mm-hmm. will and have, and this podcast certainly <laughs> has gotten into the complexities of that, right? But I do think that at our best, when we're doing things well and doing it right and doing it um, from a place of possibility, God, we bring out the best in people. And I freaking love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mel, that's one of my favorite parts of working with you. And I think Derek, you'll see this a lot in the season too, is Mel is really good about holding the both and of like leadership education is so brilliant and smart and driven, but also being critical, but in ways that are forward thinking, right? Like you're not going to be like, oh, this is messed up or we shouldn't do it this way or like this is not inclusive or whatever it is too. But even when you critique it, it still feels hopeful, which I think is really like, especially during COVID when we would be on calls and stuff together, things too. And webinars, I know you did during COVID, it was a good place of holding the both and of like, we're not perfect, but we're getting closer, right? Like we're getting, we're trying to get closer to what we think is this kind of true North of our field. Um, And not that I think we'll ever achieve true North, but we're still in the right direction. Like even when it feels like we're getting off, you do a good job of reminding us we're on the path, right? We're in the journey. Um, and even the way you just answered that, right. It's like, we're not perfect, but we're, we're trying our best. And that is really good for now. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I just, I think, I think there's so many of us that, that hold out that hope. Right. I mean, it's why, it's why we continue to write and why we continue to like urge people (laughs) to join us. Right. In this, in this field, um, Mm -hmm. there's just so much potential for it. I think we all know that. And, um, I'm just, I'm glad that we're we're growing the community really is what I'm glad mm-hmm. about because we are all leadership educators, right? We talk about that a lot. Mm-hmm. I know I talked about it with both of you before, yeah. but we are, it doesn't, you know, whether, no matter what your title is, no matter what programs you work with or, you know, academic program you're a part of whatever, like we, that there is a leadership learning moment in absolutely every part mm-hmm. of, of higher education work. And just a matter of whether or not we're grasping onto it and talking about it, reflecting on it and using it um, in, in, in ways for good, you know? Yeah. I think that's a perfect segue to the last question that I have for y'all. We keep spoiling it. So sorry. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> but I think I, I, we did this a little bit in our like other seasons in the past mm. where we've asked people to reflect on their critical hope or where do you mm. see kind of X going, right? So where do you both see the field of leadership education going? And I know it's A, a loaded question and B, <laughs> it's very, very, very meta, right? But I think yeah. I wanted to make sure I left this um, broad enough to get your unique perspective, but also choose your own adventure with this, right? Do, how do you see this going into mm-hmm. maybe the theories that we use, or maybe you see a connection between leadership education and higher education. How does that mm-hmm. connect to student success? You can take any route with this question. That was just me spitballing some possible routes to take, but I know I want to make sure, um, like I said before, we get those honest answers from y'all. So yeah, mm-hmm. what is that? What does that look like? Mm-hmm. What does that look like? What Ideally, what, what's that critical hope or where do you're like, I know the field is going this way and I'm excited to see it like that. Building off of my last answer about writing, I think one thing that I've been thinking a lot about, and it actually just came up in a call with Kathy Guthrie and I yesterday and we were talking about some of our projects we're doing is, um, I think taking a page out of participatory action research in doing a better job in leadership education of pulling in the folks that we're writing for and doing the work for into the process. I don't know that we're doing that in the ways that we think we are yet. I think some people certainly are. I don't know that the field as a whole are doing that, right? And I think, um, so one of our forthcoming books, hopefully will be released next month or so, so I can share it on the podcast more. But um, it's a book called Rude and Radiant. It's coming through IEP. Um, I did it with a wonderful group of 16 authors. And then we had 40 um, narrative authors. So what it was, it was a five research site um, project. I think I might share it on last season too, but five research sites. It was students that were in a women or gender and leadership course. Um, They wrote a one or two page um, narrative or poem or prose about their story of being a woman in leadership. Um, And all 40 of those narratives in that book are fully included at like full length. There's no cutting it for themes. There's no slicing it up to try to make it fit whatever we thought was most important. We really um, inductively wrote this book around these 40 narratives but from the sense of we had no direction where the book would go until the women who we were writing it for told us right and I think about even yesterday Kathy and I were talking about um, reviewers for an undergrad book we're writing and I was like we need undergrads giving us feedback because we need them to tell us what's not here that they're hoping to learn and grow from and you know I know there's the whole sense of like, they don't know what they don't know, but they do, right? And we just talked about our stories, especially Melissa and I talking about like, we went to these things as high schoolers and we did get some of this education and and we know more than we're often letting um, our undergrads take credit for. And I think bringing them into the process of theory creation and writing and presentations and assessment and, and data, um, I think we have got to start including them earlier on in the process, just having to be like, oh, they're like, you know, fact-checking or critical reviewers at the end, uh, but really making them a part of this idea, like ideation and creation process um, early on. I love that. That's my hope for where we go. I don't know if it's where we're going, but I'm hoping yeah. that, we're, that we I start know. going there. I know. I'm going to give yeah. a plug to Dr. Julie Owen because she's been doing a lot with she like does. undergrad research and collaborative research and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That's what that makes me think of too. Um, yeah, and, especially you know, her, if folks are not reading her Women in Leadership book, it ends with a narrative from undergrads. And it, my undergrads who read that book for class tell me it's their favorite part of the book every single time is those That's stories awesome. that she included. Yeah. yeah. Shout out to all of y'all, you know, out there, including students and and learners generally in the process of creating. Mm -hmm. I think that's so important. It honestly, I couldn't have picked a better segue to my answer because (gasps) I was going to say that like, 
I think this, the notion of co-construction is so important in our work. And mm-hmm. as we, as we see some of our brilliant colleagues and, and the both scholars and practitioners talk more, write more about liberatory pedagogy and its connection mm-hmm. to leadership education, co-construction is one of the things that I think, I don't want to say it's an easy reach. I, I don't mean that it's easy to do, but it is something that I feel like the field of leadership education is primed better than maybe others to be able to do because mm-hmm. we focus so much on collaborative processes, collaboration with one another, collaboration across units, collaboration across scholars, right? We're one of the only fields out there, one of the academic disciplines out there that focuses more intentionally on collaborating and writing projects, right, than other disciplines. It's really interesting mm-hmm. to, to look at that. but. I do think that co-construction is something that we could do more intentionally and could do it better. Um, plug for this year's Leadership Educator Symposium, because our focus is going to be on the liberatory practice of co-construction. And I'm so pumped to have Dr. Mm-hmm. Amy Barnes, Dr. Jordan Harper, and Dr. Esty Hernandez with us for mm-hmm. symposium this year in December, mm-hmm. the 13th through 15th. Mm-hmm. Such a cool group of people. Um but in one of in one of Dr. Harper's recent publications, talked about what does it look like to to design with instead of for, and I love that mantra. I think is, is is so valuable. I think we've got colleagues that have been doing really cool stuff like peer education and peer mentorship programs, and including students in under in in research projects and using student feedback. Um, and not just using it to design programs or, or structure offices, but really including them in those conversations. I just think there's more examples of it. There are more examples of it out there than maybe we know. And to really talk mm-hmm. more about how do we not just let this happen by mistake or or, or by, by chance, yeah. but how does it happen really thoughtfully and intentionally? How do we bake it into the structures and systems of the way that we do our work in leadership education? I just think that's going to be so important on this journey towards more, more liberatory practice. Um, and the the overall purpose, right, of leadership education for liberation, truthfully. Yeah. Derek, do you want to give us your hope before we start transitioning to looking forward to the season? For sure. So I was, I originally thought of an answer. Then I heard both of you talking. I thought of 50 different <laughs> answers. But... <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> I tell no the podcast will go all season. So be used to that for the rest of the season. Right. I think for me, as someone who has, the ability to see leadership education both in a formalized sense in a classroom and outside of it. I'm just pumped to see identity work being so ingrained in leadership mm-hmm. education. And I think, yeah. and I think as a field, we're moving beyond the Western identity markers of race, gender, sexuality. So yes. honestly, mm-hmm. we're thinking about ability status. We're thinking about access to information. We're thinking about individuals who have blockades because of governmental restraints, right? Other countries. Mm -hmm. So I think we're moving past just those identity markers that we may consider here in the U.S. or in other larger first world countries. But I think we're focusing on how leadership, I feel like a lot of times leadership is seen as like a, oh, I don't have time for that. That's like a secondary Mm -hmm. field or that's like, yeah, it's in here. But I think we're reclaiming our spot up there as a major mm-hmm. as a major kind of like you had mentioned um Mel, an academic discipline right and i think a lot of times we ingrain leadership in a bunch of things but we don't realize that leadership is a thing right it's not necessarily yeah. in it is in everything and it is also its own thing so that's what i'm excited to see in leadership education um specifically i also i 
consider myself a critical constructivist in my worldview in a bunch of different ways. And I definitely can see that being more incorporated into our field while also highlighting that I know we're having exciting um, instruments that are being able to empirically prove a lot of our theories and concepts that are also coming out. So I'm becoming more of a, a data nerd more and more, if y'all have not noticed, as the progression of <laughs> all the seasons have gone through. But that's mm-hmm. something that I'm also really excited about the field as well, not only to be able to highlight the lived experiences of people, but also they are valid to begin with, but also empirically say they're valid, right? And this is what has informed our field and will continue to inform our field. So those are just some things that I'm personally excited about the field as well and just making sure that we stick true to ourselves. I, Brittany mentioned we wrote a book chapter earlier. And one of the things that we wrote in our shared positionality was we believe leadership, education, and social justice go hand in hand. And that's mm-hmm. something that I'm, definitely excited to see us continue moving on because when we think we're done with the social justice work that we do that's when you know we have a lot more to do to begin with so i think that's an important yeah. piece yeah. to highlight there mm-hmm. i'm with you i'm with you isn't These that the are... point what was that oh, go ahead mel go ahead i was just gonna laugh about your comment about being a data nerd in my head i thought isn't ultimately that the point of a phd mm-hmm. process right right, right. more da- more data yeah. nerds <laughs> he's he's finally he's finally drinking the kool-aid mel it took a little while right. to get him on our team but that's he's right. finally right. got here that's right <laughs> ironically that, once right, he's all data all research that, classes right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's correct. right. That's right. That's right. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Those are all good notes to transition to kind of our telling you what's coming, what we're excited yes. about, and um, what we hope you're excited about in hearing us. I know Derek's also giving us time markers that we've been chatting for a little while. So we'll make sure to bring it home so that we keep you at a timely um, hope and hope that your commute is not this long. So it's okay if you need to listen to us in parts because let's hope you're not driving an hour each way to, to wherever okay. you're headed. But um, some closing thoughts and parting words from us. So first, we just want to talk about next steps for the podcast. So our hope is that um, we get you an episode every two weeks. We know that life happens and academic years can be weird. And sometimes guest schedules don't always work. But our goal is to always get you a podcast episode every two weeks. Um, something new, something exciting, something to look forward to. Um, the nice part of having Derek as our producer is he also runs a lot of the SLPKC social media, which I'll share with you. Um, but we'll make sure that those platforms are telling you if we ever have a week where we don't have a podcast coming out or um, something that we really want you to get excited about or looking forward to, or if we ever have times in conferences where I know Melissa and I are going to a lot of comparable conferences this coming year so that we uh, hopefully can have a coffee meetup or something too. So we'll make sure to use those channels. Derek's going to share here in a second to make sure that we all stay connected and you know what's coming, but every two weeks. And again, the real kind of theme, I guess, lack of a better word, um, is we're just going to talk about leadership in context. And I think a lot of what you've heard from us about what we're excited about in the field and what makes us um, energized and brings joy is that, right? Seeing it Mm -hmm. unfold in different contexts and spaces and um, with different student populations or different uh, practitioners, or I think what we were hitting at in our last answer was the interdisciplinary work of our our, leadership education, right? That we are working with, you know, folks in liberal studies, we're working with folks in communication, we're working with folks in higher institute affairs, like we're working in so many spaces. And I think um, that's also what makes us really excited about this work too. So I hope that you all are excited about that. I think as the season unfolds and you hear more of our guests, you'll get a sense of what we're hitting out with this context element too. But I know Melissa is going to give us a little more about what you can expect, especially with the NASPA SLPKC um, and NCLP partnership too. Yeah, yeah. I one of the things I think I'm most excited about our our topic about leadership education and context is just the 
you know, the more I think that we can formally acknowledge the leadership education work that's happening across all kinds of spaces and mm-hmm. educational environments, I think the better. It's how the field grows. It's how we embrace the diversity of knowledge and background experience of our community of leadership educators. It's how we start to really tackle the question and the challenge of leadership learning and development for all with all um mm-hmm. it's something that we talk about a lot and how do you reach the students right and how do we connect well i think i think instead of thinking about like <laughs> more posters and more social media <laughs> right and more marketing like there's some real like strategy around recognition of where the work is happening and how those places are structured and and who's engaged there and how we engage across those lines. I think that's so important. And so I'm really excited about the chance to get to talk with, you know, both scholars and practitioners from across, you know, different contexts in education that are doing leadership education work in a way that I think, I think no matter where you find yourself situated in leadership education, you're going to find connection with the stories of people that we're talking with this, this, um, this season. And so that, that hopefully is exciting for you. I know it's exciting for us. Um, and, and yeah, I just really, really very thankful to the, to the SLPKC, you know, through NASPA for, for partnering with, with NCLP on this. I, I'm just thrilled on behalf of NCLP and our whole team to, to be a part of it. Perfect. Perfect. And if you're just as thrilled as us, we want to make sure we share (laughs) some social media information so you can keep up with us, keep up with both NASPA, SLPKC and NCLP as well. So, we're excited to share. Um, we'll have all of these linked also as well in our show notes, caption, whatever your streaming service that you're going to be hearing is on calls, the little text that goes underneath this episode. But we're going to be having it our for the NASPA Student Leadership Program's Knowledge Community. On Instagram, we are at NASPA, N-A-S-P-A underscore S-L-P-K-C. For our Facebook page, we are the Student Leadership Program's Knowledge Community. And for our Twitter or I guess X now X. we are the Na- at NASPA SLPKC. So yeah, very, very, we can have a whole another podcast on that whole scandal, if you will. But, yes. um, and then also for our friends over at NCLP, if you want to reach out to them via email, you can always email NCLP at umd.edu. And also for Instagram and X, it is at the T-H-E underscore NCLP. And also on Facebook, you can find them as the National Clearinghouse for Leadership Programs as well. Awesome. Hey, well, we hope that you all keep tuning in with us. We're so excited to share this space with you um, and feel free to reach out. We will make sure that we always include ways that you all can connect with us, but we will see you in two weeks and are so excited for this upcoming season. Yeah. We also hope that you'll join the National Clearinghouse for Leadership Programs and our leadership educator friends from around the country and the world at this year's Leadership Educator Symposium, December 13th through 15th, 2023 at the University of Tampa. Our topic this year is liberatory learning and leadership education, exploring the philosophy and practice of co-construction. Find out more and register now at nclp.umd.edu forward slash programs.